You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome into the latest edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City alongside Josh Taylor. I'm Chris Mack, and we have got you on the day of a Mike Tomlin press conference on the bye week as the Steelers get ready for the Rams. A number of things to talk about, both in and around the Tomlin press conference. We got a couple of flaky ideas that have been thrown out there by national media regarding the Steelers that we got to touch on as well. What this offensive line looks like, what it looks like to have Deontay Johnson and possibly Pratt Firemuth, as Mike Tomlin referred to him today back in the fall. Big fan of Pratt Firemuth. Um, or Can he Pat block? Firemuth. Can that guy block? <laughs> if he can block, put him in. Cool. I don't care what his name is. Yeah. You can even misspell it, mispronounce it, whatever, as long as he can block. Yes. Uh, plenty to talk about today. But first, uh, your daily housekeeping reminder that if you're watching the show on YouTube, we appreciate you. You can see these faces right now. You can see that the role of one member of fourth down in the steel city, always having a hat on has stayed true today as Josh is wearing one. And this is the, I got my hair cut. So yeah, the gray is still there, but you can see that the hair is actually done today. I'm usually the one with the haircut and the gray is like minimally visible. Now it's the other way around. Just for today. Just for it, today. It, it rotates. It yeah, rotates. It, exactly. So we followed that rule. If you're watching on YouTube, you know to tap that little notification bell down there. It's below Josh's name somewhere, I believe. And uh, you'll get notified as soon as new videos are posted to the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page. And of course, if you got the audio only version, well, for you, you don't have to worry about any of these visuals. You just worry about following and subscribing to the podcast, however you get it, in your favorite podcast app, whether that's Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, iTunes, perhaps, or we prefer your free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it today and take us with you wherever you're going and whatever you're up to. So Mike Tomlin speaks every Tuesday at noon in preparation uh, during game weeks. And today, Josh, let's start with the offensive line because that's the biggest thing and I think has the most moving parts we i want to talk deontay johnson obviously and pat fryermuth and targets everybody's worried about the number of targets everybody's going to get um but i think it's more about what it does for the quarterback um let's talk offensive line first though uh big news on monday was dan moore jr getting some run with the first team offense beyond that it wasn't real clear how much run or which side of the offensive line it may have been on i didn't see that mentioned anyway but it, it sounds like it's more and more likely that Dan Moore Jr. will have an opportunity to get his job back as the starting left tackle. We've also got James Daniels uh, returning to practice this week. It sounds like a possibility that he may return, but it also hasn't been discussed whether that will simply mean taking over for Herbig again at right guard, or is there the possibility that he supplants the guy ranked the 35th best center and is far as I can remember, there's only 32 teams in the league. The 35th Ooh. best center in the league, according to PFF, Mason Cole, as James Daniels has played that position before. So let's take this offensive line as a whole real quick and talk about left to right, what we're working with, what we expect on Sunday against 
a Rams defensive front that as long as Aaron Donald is alive and breathing will be threatening um, and what we think they should be doing. Like my perfect offensive line left to right goes Jones, uh, Sayamalu, at least from what we've got, right? I, I should I should be yes. clear about that. That's <laughs> from the that's options. Important to put that out. Yes, it's an important qualifier from what we have to work with. Jones, Sayamalu, Daniels, Herbig, and then really Chooks are more on the other side. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, I don't think that's the way they'll go, but that's the way I would go anyway. I don't think that's the way they'll go either. I, I'm kind of leaning that way. I think that would be good. I'm really surprised at what we've seen from Mason Cole because he was, for all intents and purposes, he was their most consistent guy last year. And he has not been that this year. He no. has not looked good at all. It's, and it's not even like, you know, in small spurts here and there. I mean, he's been he's been consistently shaky throughout the course of the season, and it scares me. When you, as Josh, as- Josh, when you talk, sorry, when you talk about, you, we're going to bring up Friar Muth in a couple minutes when we talk about him being back in the lineup and his blocking being less than just bad. Um, but Mason Cole next to Friar Muth is probably the guy I've seen blown back into the backfield. The yes. second most this year behind only Friar. Yes. It, it's it. It really eliminates for me. I, when I hear the whole Jalen Warren versus Najee Harris, which running back is better. I'm sitting there going, who cares if no one's in front to block for him? Who cares yeah. if there's somebody in his lap every other carry? That's why I'm not one of those people that can come down on Najee Harris because he has only so much space to run through. And it doesn't help that you're not giving your running back the, the best opportunity to do what he does well. Najee Harris is a guy, you give him a hole, Najee, run this way, run through that hole between those two guys, and yes. he'll run through it. And he's and he's doing that with the assumption that the guys in front of him are going to make said hole. Because when right. that happens, he has the success that he has. I thought the success they had in the trap game against Houston with Najee wasn't, yes. wasn't a coincidence. I thought that worked for a reason. I thought the success they had last year coming out of the bye week, mind you, mm-hmm. against against New Orleans when they started running out of the pistol and just sending Najee north south. I thought that was significant for a reason. I thought there I thought it wasn't a coincidence. So when you cannot see your offensive line get a consistent push up front, whether it be in the run game, whether it be protection in the pass game. I thought last I thought the this last game out that we saw the Steelers against Baltimore, it might have been one of the most consistent games from the offensive line. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't great, but it was still their most consistent. And when you're talking about just from the Broderick Jones side of things, yeah, he looked great. But the middle of the offensive line, that Sayonalu, Cole, and even – and by the way, got to talk about how, how well Nate Herbig played because we didn't say his name a lot during a couple games he filled in. I mean, he's been at least games. as good as James Daniels. At he's right been now. at least as good as James Daniels. He's been passable, but that's what they brought. They brought him in to at least be passable if they needed him. So that's worth bringing up too. Yeah. But that was their most consistent offensive line effort probably of the season, which is saying a lot because it really hasn't still been good across the board. It's only been good about, it's only been good by comparison. So yeah, we can talk about, you know, what we've seen. And, it, and this even goes down to the play calling too. No play call is going to look good if your offensive line doesn't block it. And for me, I've heard some people say, like, I don't understand why they think this is the central problem. It is the central problem. As far as what's on the field and the performance on the field, this is going to be the central issue because your quarterback's not going to have time, your running back's not going to have space, and your offense is going to be stuck in mud if your offensive line cannot provide time and space. It's just what it is. It's that simple. We've seen it be the main 
ingredient to the fact that we're all still questioning what Najee might really be at the NFL level. And we'll get to Najee in particular. I mentioned uh, some wild uh, thoughts and ideas, proposals thrown out from the national media in the last week. We'll get to those before we wrap up today. But this is my my focus for the offensive line is it is it's malpractice to not have Broderick Jones out there uh, Sunday in L.A. At this rate, it probably is. It just it's why. I don't need to see any more from, ironically enough, no pun intended, Dan Moore Jr. Again, if you want to have him and Chooks battle it out for the right tackle job, be my guest. Uh, it's it's very it's nominal the difference there. Broderick Jones, what I saw as soon as he stepped in for Dan Moore Jr. and what continued through the Baltimore game was exactly what you talked about in the trap game against the Texans. His ability to get on the move. He makes that first block and then looks for the second level block. And I saw that against Baltimore as well. To your point, it didn't feel like the run blocking was quite as effective in Baltimore as it was at times in Houston, but the pass blocking was better. And it was the most consistent effort we've had out of this offensive line as a whole. If Broderick Jones ends up back on the bench this Sunday, I, I don't want to say my analysis of the offense kind of stops there, but if they end up losing to the Rams, my analysis of what happened kind of stops there. You took the left tackle that you traded up for in the first round, who looked good in his first six-plus quarters of action, and you put him back on the bench for the guy ranked the worst offensive tackle in football by PFF. You know me. I don't always always put a 100% stock in the rankings. Sure. But But the eye test doesn't really argue with it. Because if you've seen enough of Dan Moore, you're going, yeah, well, I guess it's not that surprising that he's ranked that low because I don't think anybody else would rate him much higher than that anyway based on what they've seen. So that part of it really checks out. But to your point, when you've seen the run game evolve the way that it has, when you saw what Broderick Jones was able to do against Shadavion Clowney and pretty much make him a non-factor, and Brian Baldinger broke it down a lot during the course of the week. He was talking about different things that he did and just his technique and how he was just getting out, almost in some cases getting out ahead of Clowney and just beating him yeah. to a spot and not letting him get around the corner. I thought all that stuff was pretty significant. And for me, it always comes down to, for me, who is the best guy that can give you the best chance? And right now it's Broderick Jones. And I, I I understand the fact that Dan Moore has been a starter on this team for three years. And I don't know if that's as much, I don't know if it speaks to as much as his talent or as far as a lack of options. That's one thing you got to talk about there. Because remember, Dan Moore was not supposed to be a starter his rookie year. No, it no. was supposed to be Chooks on the left side and Zach Banner on the right side. And that never happened. It never happened. And the options, all three options weren't ideal. But when it shook out that way, you knew something was wrong. So now you get to this point, and yes, Dan Moore has been the starter for this long, but not because he's been the best guy. He's been the best option, and I don't think that's the same thing. So yeah, it, you you can put Dan Moore back in because he's the starter and he's been there for so long. But at this point, it's like decaf coffee. What the hell is the point? <laughs> it was not lost on me that one of Mike Tomlin's lines today that you could tell he wanted to stick that you could tell I'm, I'm convinced my man practices in the mirror, in the shower before on Tuesday mornings, maybe even Monday nights at one of his lines that he wanted to stick was this is not a patient person's business. 
my eyes immediately lit up like a pinball machine. Like, wait a second. From you, old ball coach, who said in his ways about as much as anybody and is about as loyal to a fault as anybody to both his coaches and his players. This is not a patient person's business. You, uh, if it's not a patient person's business, then what has been your tack the last 10 years? Mike Tomlin, because I'm over here counting the rookies that probably should be getting more playing time while yes. I hear the coach say it's not a patient person's business. Because if that's the case, get them in there. See, we should have already seen Broderick Jones. Joey Porter Jr. should already be starting. Mm-hmm. Darnell Washington should be on the field a lot more often. And I'd make the argument that where the hell's Keanu Benton more often? Like those are there four guys. Top if four we're picks. talking about it not being a patient person's business, those four guys should be seeing the lion's share of snaps already. It, Absolutely. This is this is the big thing with me. A lot of people are going into, oh, the coordinator's bad and this and that, and the quarterback. The inconsistency with what's being said and what we're seeing mm-hmm. is the primary frustration for me. And the rest of it can be tweaked with one thing being, being changed or another. You make one change, that's different. The fact that we are seeing one thing out in the field and this coaching staff is saying something else. This is dating all the way back to the offseason of what they told us the identity of this team was going to be and what it has not been or what it has not become. That really is it for me because you're saying this one thing and then what you're doing doesn't match. And or, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to, to to mask it now. It's out there in the open now. Or or you're doing one thing set of things in the offseason that seems to build your team for something for a right. specific philosophy and then you get to the regular season and to your point you're still saying the things that match up with what you did but when you get to game days it's not, it's not materializing happening. yeah it, it, it's it's i don't understand it it's and the, th- the <laughs> crazy either. part of the crazy part about it is them taking this tack that they took is what i expected them to do i expected them to take this particular approach towards how they were going to build this roster. And then they came out and said, yeah, this is what we're doing. So it was just confirmation for me, but the confirmation on their end has to be the results on the field. And And those have not shown up. And it's not like it's been, oh, they've done it this particular day or this particular day and it worked this day and it didn't work that day. No, that hasn't been it. There hasn't been a defined commitment to it. And that's the part that's unnerving for me. Uh, also unnerving, and this kind of transitions us into the next thing, and I mentioned off the top what, what I wanted to talk about because I think it's a bigger impact maybe ultimately in the end than the offensive line is uh, the receiving core. Odd that our guy Chris Carter gets lit up by Coach Tomlin sure. for asking about receiving yards against. You mentioned the Steelers are eighth, have given up the eighth most receiving yards to wide receivers in the league. And Mike Tomlin called it an obscure stat. Receiving yards, Josh, have become an obscure stat. It felt like a day where when he's asked about a lot of things next week or the week after or three weeks down the line, he's going to pull what he pulled earlier in the year and be like, yeah, I just say things sometimes. It's, I don't know. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to take that seriously because (laughs) you say, yeah, it's not a, it's an obscure stat. Well, here's the problem. You're 25th in the league in receiving yards allowed. Yeah, you're also 25th in the league in receiving touchdowns allowed. Mm. You've given up eight receiving touchdowns. That's not in addition to all the yards you've given up, and that ranks 25th right now in the league. So it's hard. If you want to call the yards part obscure, fine. 
but you're still giving up in the top 10 of touchdowns allowed receiving. So you can try to push the one thing to the side all you want to. The other thing is still there. It still matters. Yeah, It still matters. Like if you told me, okay, they're giving up a lot of yards, but they're not giving up a lot of touchdowns. I could set that to the side and say, okay, but you're giving up a lot of touchdowns too. Ain't receiving touchdowns in five games. That's in addition to, and I want to make sure I check this right. So I got to look at my other screen here. That's in addition to the three rushing touchdowns you've given up. So you've given up, you know, 11 total touchdowns here on defense in a handful of games here. So, you know, you're giving up more touchdowns in the passing game than most teams in the league. For, set the yard part to the side. Even if you yeah. think that's obscure, the touchdowns part is it. So did Chris just ask the wrong question, maybe? Or did or he just, point out the wrong stat? Because it doesn't take time. It doesn't take from the fact that your passing game is still getting beaten by a lot of teams here. And it's one of the principal reasons why you gave up 30 points against San Francisco and 30 points against Houston. That's the reason why, because they threw the ball at will. And that's something that you still have to fix. And I I understand it from the point of, okay, we're going to try to tweak things here and tweak things there. And I also understand it from the point, you and I talked about this. It's, It's the whole, you know, let Shaq score, but don't let Kobe kill you principle. Right. Well, the problem with that is when it's one of the primary reasons behind the two games you lost and it's still happening in the handful of games you won. It's got to be addressed. Yeah. It's got to be addressed. That That's the part that bothers me. And here's the thing. If we flip it around, like again, the philosophy of building this team was we're going to build it around the defense and ask the offense to not do too much, but do just enough. Well, well just don't screw it up, basically. Just don't right. screw it up. Keep yourself in the game and don't screw it up. But the defense is not even holding up their end of the bargain every week. It's it's more about the splash plays that they're making. It's more about Watt and Highsmith coming up huge in huge moments than the defensive unit as a whole shutting things down. And that's not going to work. And even fundamentally, it can't be an every other week scenario. No. You can't just have it be, we're good this week, but you, we're not good next week. Good you can't week, ask, you can't ask TJ Never. Watt and Alex Highsmith to win seven or eight games for you, which is the way things are built right now. That that might be partially my fault because I keep making the joke of build the whole <laughs> plane out of TJ. I didn't expect them to take it literally. <laughs> they I took you seriously. Part literally, like, okay, you guys don't have to listen to everything I say. Okay, I, <laughs> I joke about the whole he who remains thing. You don't have to keep proving me right. In some right. Aspects. <laughs> Some are just still jokes at the end of the day. But no, you're right. It's it, it cannot become a situation where, okay, your defense is stellar today, and that's the reason why you won, at least not every other week. In the past couple seasons, and you and I have talked about this, in the past couple seasons, the reason why they won games is because the defense held the other team to pretty much 24, 23 points or less. And they've done that over the past three or four years, pretty much since Mika Fitzpatrick was a stealer in week three of mm-hmm. 2019. That's what's been happening. When the defense holds team to 24 points or less, they win those games for the most part, especially if they win the turnover margin. So it's a great thing to maybe have as a baseline, but it's not the thing that you hang your hat on. You cannot make that the primary thing. It no. can be a very good supplementary thing that kind of gives you the off- gives your offense the basis of, okay, go out and do what you can, but even if you can't, you still have a net but it cannot be the whole ship as opposed to being just the net. Now on the other side of the ball. And again, the original reason I wanted to bring this up, the idea of receiving yards being obscure as I air quote with my fingers, the Steelers are third worst in the league in points scored on offense. They are 
the third worst in the league, I believe, in passing yards per game, third worst in the league, uh, or second worst in the league in total yards per game on offense. They're bad at all of these things. The hope, at least from my perspective, and this is where I have this one faint glimmer of hope that they'll do something they did last year in a different way. Last year, it was, and you referenced the game coming out of the bye against the Saints, where Najee Harris had a great day on the ground, and they started to recommit to the run game. Look, I want them to recommit to the run game because I think that's where this offense finds some balance and some consistency. But the one thing they haven't had in the air is Deontay Johnson. Right. And they're coming out of a bye. The, the other big thing last year coming out of the bye was obviously TJ Watt got healthy, which was huge. But yes. this, so I don't expect the exact same lift to happen coming out of the bye. The bye is also a couple weeks earlier. Anyway, here nor there, there's a chance to get some positive coming out of the bye in that Deontay Johnson is healthy. Pat Fryermuth will be back as well. To a lesser extent, that is an impact. Deontay Johnson, I think, is a huge impact, Josh, because this gives Kenny Pickett the ability. We talked about it a little bit last week when Deontay Johnson said, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to be back. This gives Kenny Pickett the uh, ability to unload the ball quickly again, or at least feel a little more confident, I guess I should say, in unloading the ball quickly because... Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth have been the guys he looks to when he wants to unload it quickly. When he sees something come at him post-snap, and again, I'll, I'm going to question his post-snap reads and progressions until he shows me he's become Joe Montana otherwise. As we should. As we yeah. should. It, it, pre-snap, fine. Okay, he's doing enough. Post-snap, he's not. He's panicking. And more often than not, when that panic has set in because he sees he gets something different after the snap that he thought he read or they just zero blitz him, whatever it may be, the ball comes out quickly. If it's in the direction of Deontay Johnson or Pat Fryermuth, more often than not, especially with Johnson, it's resulting in a completion or at least coming closer to a completion than it is when he's chucking it up in George Pickens' direction or hoping that Calvin Austin or Allen Robinson are open. Deontay Johnson being around because his, he is so good at simply getting open, I think is a big boon to Kenny Pickett's confidence. Add Fryermuth in as well, even if he can't block to save his life. Sorry, Pat, you can't. Um, Except <laughs> what you are. It's fine. You're 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 a big slot receiver. I'm okay with that. It's it's yeah. it's a fine it's a fine living to make, my friend. Um, those guys back though <laughs> should be a huge help. I would. I'm hoping to Kenny Pickett looking more confident going into LA. I would agree with that. And I, I'll, I'll put this out there because I keep seeing this. And every time one guy has a good game, we try to contrast the two. Brock Purdy probably had his first really like bad looking game against Cleveland. Yep. But the thing that for me, and this is really, I, I, you can talk about, oh, coordinators and scheme and whatever. There are two things that Brock Purdy has that Kenny Pickett does not have. The one thing Brock Purdy has is ridiculous personnel around him. Anybody with Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, and George Kittle around them is going to have success in the passing game because all these guys can do more than one thing. But the other thing that Brock Purdy has, and maybe the personnel thing helps with it, Brock Purdy has really good decision-making ability. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes with the football mm -hmm. on his hands. Kenny Pickett is at his best when he doesn't make a lot of mistakes with the football on his hands. Yep. So we know the capability is there. I'm with you. If you see a little bit more consistency post-snap as you do pre-snap, I think the results are better. And we saw this after the bye week last year. 
He was a lot more decisive where he went with the ball. He made better decisions. He didn't try to force bad throws. If he didn't have something, he threw it away. He lived to fight another day. Decision-making has to be the thing that helps you survive as a quarterback because at the end of the day, we can talk about scheme coordinators, receivers, field position, whatever. The ball is in your hands. As an offense, your job is to attack. But here's the thing. The one primary weapon above all else that you need in order to attack as an offense is the ball. You mm-hmm. can't do anything without the ball. They always, I, I've been saying this for years, possession's nine-tenths of the law, it's <laughs> ten-tenths of football. That's it. If you don't have the ball, you can't do anything with it. Brock Purdy has been able to be this good because he makes decisions that are clean decisions and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And once again, I'm going to keep saying this, he doesn't turn the ball over. When Kenny Pickett makes good decisions and doesn't turn the ball over, not only is it going to make you look like a better quarterback, it's going to keep your offense in position to do whatever. Because once again, if you don't have the ball, you can't score. It's kind of a right. primary tenet of the game. <laughs> so a lot of it now, I, I'm with you. Unless, unless you're counting on your edge rushers to do all unless the Unless you're counting on TJ yeah. Watt and Alex Smith to do it all. You understand where I'm going with this. Yeah. But yeah, for, I, I agree with you on this. If you could see a much better consistent post-snap approach from Kenny Pickett and just the decision-making that he has, I think the results change. But adding a Pat Fryer Muth and adding a Deontay Johnson probably makes his decision-making a lot easier, kind of like how having a Christian McCaffrey and a Debo Samuel and a George Kittle makes Brock Purdy's decision-making easier. When you have guys that can get open, I I know we talk about the whole scheming guys open thing. Sometimes Mm -hmm. receivers should just get themselves open. Devontae Adams gets himself open. Antonio Brown was fantastically good at getting himself open. Even against double teams, he still got himself open. Mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson is good at getting himself open. And Mike Tomlin said as much when they asked him when he brought you know to the table of him being back, he's this elite route runner because yep. he is. Because Deontay Johnson, especially in short to intermediate, you and I talked about this before, short to intermediate routes, Deontay Johnson is about as good as anybody in getting himself open. So if you can see that on a more consistent approach, if you can see Pat Fryer move, on the field, and I think out in the space in a more consistent approach, especially in short yardage and goal line, which I think should be the primary place where you're looking for him. Yes. And then you mix that with an efficient run game that allows you to have that kind of opportunity to do that because teams are going to be so fixated on trying to cut your run game short. Now you got an opportunity to exploit that and move the chains a lot more frequently. And you stay on the field a lot longer, and maybe you're converting more third downs. It all goes hand in hand. It does. And so here's here's the one thing I don't want to hear about when we talk about Deontay Johnson coming back to the lineup is, well, you still got to make sure you get George Pickens the ball more than him because George Pickens is wide receiver one. And you got to know, look, I am all for looking at the number of targets George Pickens gets per game and saying he's got to have the ball directed his way more. I, I said it before the season started. Right? Like, if you're going to have 20 targets a game, which is what they had, thereabouts, 20 targets a game last year, split between Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, then yes, I'd prefer to have George Pickens be the guy who has the 12 targets and Deontay Johnson the eight targets. But there are going to be times where, based on situation, and this week feels like one of those situations, depending on what kind of coverage the Rams throw out there. And I know Jalen Ramsey. Uh, might be able to return to practice this week, but I don't think it's likely that he's going to play on Sunday. So their best corner is going to be Akello Witherspoon. All of this is to say, if Deontay Johnson sees 15 targets this weekend and George Pickens only sees six or seven, am I necessarily enthralled with the, that, the idea of that being the formula going forward? No, but 
I'll take it because it means Kenny Pickett is feeling comfortable again. And it also means that he's not trying to force it if other teams are trying to take George Pickens away. Right. I, I, I need the people just throwing the ball so many times a game. There's a reason why James Franklin responded the way he did to that Corey Geiger question that mm-hmm. he got last week. And it wasn't necessarily because he thought it was that stupid of an idea, but coaches are not keen on the concept of, oh, just look to throw the ball to this guy that many times a game just because you're supposed to. No, it's going to be about matchups, and it's going to be about when it suits the opportunity. The reason why that play against Baltimore worked for that touchdown in that particular moment is because that suited the opportunity because the the call that they got, the defense that they faced, the reads that they made, pre-snap, mind you, they did all of that and said, look, this is the opportunity that presents itself. This is the time where you do that. I don't mind going to George Pickens a certain number of times, but I want to make sure that certain number of times you're doing it is when it's the right time to do it. Don't force the ball up to George Pickens' double coverage and assuming he's going to come down with it, even though he might be able to. You don't hang your hat on that and say, well, this is how our offense is going to move the ball. That It's not a prudent thing to do. However, if you got Deontay Johnson on this side of the ball who's doing some things and George Pickens on this side of the ball who's doing some things, now defenses have to decide who they're trying to keep on. Because if they're trying to take George Pickens out of the game, okay, now you got this really good route runner that can find himself open in small spaces and short intermediate, and you could just kind of pick at that and chip away at that. And then when they start to try to lock him down and maybe bring a safety over and worry about him, now you start dropping it to the guy over the top who's on the other side because they can't deal with both at the same time. And that's not counting the fact that, hey, maybe you have some success running the football, and maybe that's what helps dictates where the ball goes with your receivers. The whole point of it is you have to make the defense pick their poison. And if you can do that with the personnel you have, which I believe the Steelers do have to a degree, that's when you start to see things even out. That's why Kenny Pickett always talks about balance in the offense. Because if the running game is going well, it's going to open up opportunities in the passing game. And if one receiver is working well and the defense is trying to key on him, it's going to open up opportunities for another guy. We're just going to open up opportunities for your tight end. And you'll see a lot of those things. And when the game is over, you look at the numbers and go, huh, how about that? That actually yeah. the way we thought it worked. Because you can't look at the you can't look at the results during the process. You got to look at the process first and then see the, where the results come from. Later. I think it'll be interesting. And we'll get into this more when we build the game plan later in the week. But I do think it's interesting to, to ask yourself what the Rams decide to do. Do they decide to try to take away Deontay Johnson? And like we just talked about, do they understand that taking away Deontay Johnson will make Kenny Pickett less comfortable? Or do they focus instead on Pickens and try to take him away as a primary target and say, hey, you can you can eat try and eat us uh, you know, one bite at a time, five, six, seven yards at a time, but we're going to make you piece together drives, which you haven't been able to do this year. Well, you have enough time to get past dominance incarnate in Aaron yeah. Donald, who's going to be in your quarterback's face. There's so there you go. Too. There you go. All and, of it and again, comes together. We'll get into it later in the week, and we're already starting to cook here. I like it. But, you know, if Aaron Donald is creating that pressure up front and you're trying to scheme some other pressure in Kenny Pickett's face and you think you could take away Deontay Johnson maybe with Akello Witherspoon or at least go a long way towards neutralizing Deontay Johnson with Akello Witherspoon, then all of a sudden you bracket George Pickens and we're right back in the same spot where we've been all year, which is happy feet Kenny trying to make decisions and running into sacks. We'll save it for later in the week. Because I got to get to some ridiculousness before we wrap up today. <laughs>